This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Oh my goodness, today's episode is so good. And it's just like a casual conversation. You know, if Libby and I were out for lunch, out for dinner, out for a drink, this is the kind of conversation that we would probably end up having. Even though I know her somewhat, there were a lot of questions that I wanted to ask her. And she's so well-spoken and you can tell that she's someone that, you know, thinks a lot about the different situations that she's been in, like introspective, let's say. She has two young children, five and seven. So I was really interested to know what the transition was like from having one kid to having two kids. Also what her transition just into motherhood was like. And she gave an amazing answer describing how the birth of her first child and her postpartum experience was so different from one child to the next. She also gets into her experience with postpartum depression and why she never recognized it as being postpartum depression. And then, of course, we had to talk a little bit about social media because we're in very similar situations. She started TikTok around the same time that I did, which was the beginning of quarantine in 2020. And it's so funny because there's a group of moms who it's like we're a group without really saying that we're a group. And it's like those are the people that I saw all the time throughout quarantine And it sounds so bizarre, but it's like, I feel like I know these people. And a lot of them have been on the podcast. A lot of them will probably continue to be on the podcast. And I always think like, we need to have a TikTok mom, not camping because I don't like camping, but some kind of retreat where all the TikTok moms who, you know, started TikTok in March of 2020 when the world shut down, we need to get together and... We can make some TikToks together, roast some marshmallows. Well, no, that would mean camping and I don't want to go camping. Anyways, back to the episode. Libby Ward is a content creator. She is Diary of an Honest Mom on TikTok and on Instagram. A few weeks ago, we went for dinner together. We met up in Burlington and it was so lovely. We had margaritas and tacos and then we made TikToks on the side of the road while people literally stared at us and laughed. I know you are going to love this episode. So without further ado, I will just get right into it. And please welcome Libby Ward, otherwise known as Diary of an Honest Mom, to the mom room. Okay, so for people who are listening who may not know who you are, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, how old your kids are, and then I was going to ask you some things about your transition into motherhood and how your pregnancies went and postpartum life, how that was for you. So who are you, Libby? Who am I? I am Libby, known as Diary of an Honest Mom on Instagram and TikTok. I have two kids. They are five and seven. I am married to a police officer and I'm from Ontario. 
Canada. And that's who I am. I've become a content creator, I guess, on Instagram and TikTok over the last year. But before that, I was an educational assistant. And now I'm going to school to become a teacher. So that's my life there. Two years ago, what were you doing? And would you have ever thought that you would be doing social media stuff? Never. I never would have thought that I would be doing social media stuff. Two years ago, I was working full-time as an educational assistant, and I had just started to go back to school to finish my undergraduate degree. And I was like, I'm going to become a teacher. I hated Instagram. I didn't like coming on because it just made me feel like crap about myself. And I just played the comparison game with all the moms who seemed to be getting everything perfect and taking all the perfect pictures. And If someone told me you're going to be a content creator on Instagram and TikTok, I would have laughed in their face and said, what is TikTok? (laughs) What is TikTok? So yeah, I definitely would not have believed it. And I remember right before the pandemic hit, I was working with some students in grade seven and they were talking about TikTok and I didn't know that much about it. I just knew that it was kind of like an app where like teenagers danced. And I was like, you guys need to be very careful. Like there are bad people on the internet. Like you should not be on TikTok. It is a bad place for young people. And then like a month later, they probably saw me on TikTok because the pandemic hit and I joined and fell in love. (laughs) So yeah. So now they're all just like, oh my goodness. Like, and they'll see me like, because I work in the town that I live and they'll see me on the road and they like wave and scream and like get really excited because they think I'm like actually famous. It's the cutest thing actually. (laughs) Yeah. So years ago when you were on Instagram, because I think people are always shocked when I tell them that I don't really consume a lot of content, especially on Instagram. I more so consume TikToks because it's so entertaining. But like years ago, I really only followed friends and family on Instagram. And then like major celebrities like Justin Bieber, Beyonce, Rihanna. I didn't really follow any kind of person that would be labeled an influencer. So were you following like influencer moms or were you just mostly following like friends and family or celebrities? I was mostly following friends and family who, I mean, their pictures still made me feel not good about myself. And I followed celebrities and probably like a few influencers, but like bigger ones, like the birds, papaya, uh, you know, cat and Nat, people like that who are like much bigger, not people who you would typically label as an influencer, I guess. Yeah. And so now when you consume content, do you have like a different view of it? Like, do you feel like you know how it works more now? Like, how do you consume it now? So I don't consume Instagram a lot. Like I maybe scroll for five, I maybe scroll for five minutes, 10 minutes tops a day. Like I really don't consume it, but I definitely look at it through a different viewpoint. And I've realized I have so much more control than I ever thought I did over what I consume as well. So on my Diary of Mom account, I only follow accounts that are similar to like how I view the world and like my values and my mothering and my viewpoint and things like that. And so I find it really life-giving which is so strange because a few years ago, it very much wasn't life-giving. And so I think I look at it differently now because I feel like I know how it works better. I realize that there's so many amazing content creators out there who are putting really authentic, honest, good value educational content that I didn't even realize was on there. So I feel like I look at Instagram through like a whole different lens and, you know, 
my unfollow button is strong. So if I am like consuming content from someone who makes me feel like garbage about myself, I just unfollow them. And I don't feel bad about that. And if people feel bad following me, then I would encourage them to do the same because I feel like we have we don't realize how much control we have over what we're consuming. And I love that I can now go on Instagram and like feel good after I log off and not feel awful. Before we get into your motherhood transition, when did you discover or like sign up to TikTok? And were you consuming TikTok before you created a TikTok? Like, how did that go? What made you think like, I'm going to make a video? I So I joined in March, like right when in Canada, everything really fell apart. Probably for a week straight, I didn't look up from my phone because I was just like, this is the most entertaining, best thing I've ever done. Like, I just like laughed and my husband would be like, oh my goodness, because I just consumed so much of it. And so it really, it wasn't that long in time that I made a video, but like, that's because in a span of two weeks, I consumed like more TikToks than most people watch in a much longer time. So it was like, (laughs) And I'm like, I'm a creative soul. Like I am someone who's always loved being creative. I've always loved being funny. I've always loved, I don't know, it's such an outlet for me. And so I think like within a few weeks, I was like, these look like so much fun. And I also don't think I ever expected anyone to see my videos. So that gave me this like false confidence to just be like, I'm going to make one of these. And I think within a week, I had one get to like, 100,000 views. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. And then you just ride the highs and lows of that too, right? And then they they hook you, they hook you because it's so addictive. So yeah, it was probably like, less than a month that I started making videos. And I didn't start it with being like, I'm going to be an influencer, I'm going to go viral, or I'm going to be this big thing. It was just like, I'm just having fun. As you said, it was March, it was quarantine. I literally had nothing else to really do. And similar to you, when I grew up, I remember like we had our family computer in the kitchen because, you know, at that time, each family had like one computer. It's not like we all had tablets and laptops and stuff. And when I was little, I would put on like Lion King songs and like put on a little costume and like dance around and make videos of myself on the computer. And I wish we still had all these videos, but I have no idea where they are. I would make like cooking shows in the kitchen and like just for myself, like nobody was seeing this. There was no YouTube at the time. And so when I started making TikToks, I was like, oh my God, this is literally what I used to do when I was little. And if I was born nowadays, I would be like that Ryan kid on YouTube making like millions of dollars. I was born at the wrong time. You could have been a millionaire. I know. (laughs) Was your content on TikTok, did you start off making the really like raw, honest kind of content? Or did you start off making more like funny videos? I started off making really funny videos. Actually, you were one of the first people I followed. And I was like, this is a mom I can totally relate to. <laughs> and and I like I our styles are somewhat similar, like in our humor as well. So I mean, you definitely inspired a lot of my content. Yeah, like I just started off by being funny and making comedy content. And through that, people would say like, oh, this makes me feel so seen. Or I thought I was the only one or, you know, things like that. And it made me realize like, it's funny on the surface, but like deep down, like people are really looking for connection and really looking to feel seen and are really like, just not sure if what they're going through is normal or not. I still like make some comedy content, but it definitely, it was way more comedy then. And it's much more of a balance now where I've like, I've, I feel like I've tapped into like, why people think it's so funny, you know, cause it like, it hits a chord for people. 
shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Humor is my defense mechanism. So in quarantine with Milo, just feeling like, oh my God, that was such a struggle with a toddler. My husband's still working his normal job, which is really busy and he's never home, but like you couldn't have family over, you couldn't go to the park, you couldn't do anything. I would just make difficult situations into funny TikToks, but then people are like, oh my God, yes. But then I was able to look at these difficult situations through like a TikTok lens and be like, 
how can I create this like nightmare of a situation, but make it a funny TikTok? And then it would make the situation (laughs) go by easier. Right. And now you're consumed by every situation that happens in life all the time. Like, oh, this could be a TikTok. (laughs) all the time, any situation that happens, I'm like, we can make a TikTok about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like my husband's mid conversation. I'm like, hold that thought. <laughs> this could right. be a TikTok. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your children are five and seven. Do you remember, like when you think back to when you had just newly become a mom, like what was that like for you, the transition into motherhood? I feel like I had a transition into motherhood with my first and then I had a whole new transition into motherhood with my second because they were such different children and I had such different perspective and different expectations, right? So I went into like with my first, I think you did a video or post or something the other day about the postpartum experience and how they prepare you for the birth, but then not afterwards, right? Like we don't prepare for the postpartum experience. And that was a hundred percent me. Like I hardly read anything about breastfeeding. I hardly read anything about what I was going to go through. I think I knew that like my undercarriage was going to be a disaster, but like the hormonal part and the emotions and like the psychological changes and all that kind of stuff, I was totally not prepared for. And I I found the first three months to definitely be the hardest. And yeah, I feel like you're pregnant and then all of a sudden you're a mom. And then people think because you're a mom, you know what you're supposed to be doing and you know what your baby needs and all this kind of stuff. And you don't. Like when my daughter, my firstborn, when she was two weeks old, her shoulder stopped working one day. And so long story short, we ended up going to the hospital and they had to do a spinal tap and she ended up being admitted and was put on an IV for antibiotics. And she had osteomyelitis, which is like an infection in her shoulder bone. And it was terrifying, like absolutely terrifying. And I remember the doctor, she was two and a half weeks old, came in and he said, you know, something about, is this, you know, behavior, like she was crying or something. Is this normal for her? You know, you're her mom, you know, the best. And I thought, I don't even associate with the term mom yet. Like I, like, I know I'm her mom, but like, you're looking at me like I have some sort of like deep knowledge about motherhood of my child. And I didn't know this person two weeks ago. Like I've never held a baby before this. And they just kept like saying things about like, well, you need to trust your instinct because you're a mom. And I thought, I don't have a mom instinct. I just gave birth two weeks ago and my nipples are raw and I'm exhausted. And now I'm postpartum living in a hospital and I have to like shower at this like random shower down the hallway, like amongst all these people, like no comfort. She was hooked up to all these wires. So I had to breastfeed her over top of the hospital bed because the wires didn't reach to the chair I had to sit in. It was awful. Like, it was so awful. And I just remember hearing so many people say things about like, oh, your mom, you should know. I'm like, I, I don't know. And people just assume that you're going you're gonna to know the answers and you don't. So that was, that was it with her. And then after three months, it actually went relatively well. Like she breastfed fine and she slept when she was supposed to sleep and she ate food when she was supposed to eat. So I expected that my son, my second board would do the same and he did not. So that plunged me into a very deep postpartum depression with him. So do you think it's because you had the expectations? Like I'm always so big on expectations and how when you have expectations and then they're not met, it's like, it makes you more upset than if it went the same way, but you had no expectations. Yes, exactly. And I think, 
you know, people talked with my first, I heard people talk about colic and babies who cry all the time and all this stuff. And that wasn't my experience. Like we had taken my daughter, you know, uh, you know, coffee dates and we went on a road trip when she was one year old, like she slept in the car and she just was easygoing. So I expected the same with my son and he, uh, right from the labor to the delivery, like everything was just traumatic. And then he wouldn't breastfeed at all. And he would scream every time he was fed. And so I shamed myself for that because I breastfed my daughter for 15 months, no problem. So I thought, oh, this will be no problem. And so even breastfeeding alone was such a thing of like anxiety. Like every time I would put him on, he would cry. So then I would like tense up every time I had to feed him. And then that would lead to stress and then guilt that it wasn't working and then shame that it wasn't working. And then eventually just like rage because I went into this like deep postpartum depression that every time I tried to feed my baby, like the one thing you're responsible for when you have a new baby is keeping them alive like feeding them. And I couldn't do that. And so then I tried pumping, but that was hard because now I had a two-year-old and I had a newborn I was trying to pump for. And then it was shame that even that wasn't working. He didn't want my pumped breast milk. So then I thought formula would work. And then he cried for that. And because he never ate enough to be full, he didn't sleep for more than two hours. And so I didn't sleep for more than two hours for nearly a year. And I just became the most miserable, rage-filled, depressed human. And I didn't recognize it as depression because I thought depressed people were sad. And I wasn't sad. I was pissed off at everybody in the world. I was mad at my friends who didn't have kids. I was mad at my husband who got to go to work. I was mad at like everyone. You know, I just felt like I was filled with so much like postpartum rage. And I feel like I just had this expectation that it was going to go like it did with my daughter. And she was going to breastfeed and she was going to sleep. And she hardly cried. And he just cried all the time. And so that was so hard that I had that expectation. And it just was completely unmet. And it was... Yeah, it was a roller coaster. And so what do you think got you out of that? Like, did you at one point recognize like, okay, maybe something is a little off, like I need more support. How did you get out of that cycle? It was probably at the five month mark that I was like, this isn't normal that I feel this way. So I went to my doctor and they referred me to like counseling. And they so I was like, they put you on a priority list if it's like maternal. So like within a week I saw a counselor. And so I had some intensive counseling and they made an appointment for me to see like a specialist doctor to see if I needed to go on medication. But by the time that happened three months later, I had slowly come out of it. So I never ended up going on medication, but I definitely would have if it didn't get better. So seeing a counselor and honestly, I remember just talking to my husband and being like, I need more support. Like I need to get out of the house and move my body. Because I just fell into a slump of like, I'm exhausted. I can't move. And so I stopped exercising. I stopped eating right. I stopped caring about myself. I stopped doing anything to look after myself because I was so consumed with looking after two tiny humans that I was like the last thing on the priority list. And like a light bulb moment went off at like six months where I was like, I can't give to them unless I'm giving to myself. And so I talked to my husband and we made time for me to exercise. And I tried to prioritize like a lot of other things, you know, seeing a counselor and getting time for myself. So it was probably then that it started to get better. And then coincidentally, within a few months, he started sleeping for more than two hours. So it all sort of lined, sort of lined up. Do you remember in those five months where you were really struggling? Did you talk to like, did you have any mom friends? Did you have like relatives or your husband? Like, do you remember opening up about how you felt or did you kind of keep it to yourself? 
I've always been a pretty open person. So like I did have a a really good friend who we both had both of our kids at the exact same time. And with her first was awful and her second was easy. And so it was really interesting talking to her about it because the transition to her for to two was easy for her. So it was nice to have a friend to be like, I remember what that was like with my first. And so I think that definitely helped me to seek help early on, like to seek help before he was six months because I was very aware of postpartum health and postpartum depression and those sorts of things. And mental health runs very deep in my family. So I've always been very aware and very self-aware. So it, it, it wasn't hard for me to open up just because I've always been that way. And I tried to have a support system around me. But I can imagine it would have been harder if I didn't, if I didn't have people to open up to. What I always think is, you know, as you were saying, like you become a new mom, people have these expectations that you know your baby so well, you know what to do. Like, you know, it's the best time of your life and you should be so happy and like blessed and all this stuff. And so I think that because we know that's the expectations people have on new moms, it makes people not want to talk about when they have a difficult time because like, oh, what are people going to think? You know, I should be so happy and like loving every moment of this. But yeah, that's why these conversations are so important because people can be like, well, there, I'm not the only one that feels this way, you know? Right, right. Like I remember wanting to run away. I remember getting in my car and thinking I could just drive to a new city and start a whole new life. I like, I literally wanted to run away. And I remember my doctor, you know, you know, asking me if I ever thought I would harm myself. And I was like, no, but I do want to escape. Like I I want to start a whole new life. I don't want to do this. And not knowing when an end was coming, like not knowing when I was going to feel better was so entirely like daunting. But I think that like the conversation around mental health is changing and people are so much more aware of like the postpartum experience and mental health, I think. So I that's good. But I always try and remind my mom friends now, like those of us with older kids, like I'm so, I'm probably annoying to new moms because I'm so aware of how hard it is that I'm like, I'm not that person that asks if you're doing okay. And you say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm the person that will just keep asking you because I know you probably say you're fine when you're not. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so what's the difference you find now? Like your kids are seven and five. So for me, Milo's almost three. And I'm always like, I wonder what it's like when they're like, you know, older. What's it like for you now compared to when they were younger and toddlers? Do you find this stage easier? Yes, I find it easier because they're not like needing me like physically all the time. Like my daughter knows how to turn the TV on. So I don't have to wake up at 6 a.m. when she wants to wake up. Like I let them watch TV for an hour in the morning until I'm ready to feel like a human being. And that alone is so much easier, right? Like you're not being woken up by this little tyrant who's like go mode from the moment they wake up and like wants snacks, wants to play and wants to go for a walk. And you're like, the world isn't open yet. Like, can we please calm down? I can just be like, go watch a show. Mommy will be up in an hour. And then it's so much easier that way. And yeah, I like it's harder in the way that like you have to have like hard conversations about like everything from like, like my daughter was asking about like racism the other day and the poppy and like sexual organs and like they're, t- you know, my, my son wants to grow his hair long and he wants a pink room and, and all these things. And I'm totally supportive of it. And now I'm having to deal with like, what are people going to say at school and what is this? And so there's like, 
you know, I hate the saying little kids, little problems, bigger kids, bigger problems, because it's totally invalidating, but there's a slight like truth to it. Not that like the problem for mom is bigger, but that like, it's more serious. Like I need to definitely have an answer to this question when they ask me this question, like, does God live in the clouds? No. Well, where does he live? Like, that's a really big question. Yes. <laughs> right. And, I'm like, and you're worried to say something wrong. Right. And I'm like, I don't want to mess them up and I don't want to lie to them. And like, yeah. So there's like all these big questions that are hard, but like the day to day, a hundred percent is so much easier. Like they can get their own snacks out. Like at nighttime when they want to drink, I'm like, go get yourself a drink, you know, and they entertain each other and they play independently and they play pretend play. And like, sometimes they leave for like an hour and go play. And that is amazing. Like, I remember when my kids were toddlers, if they played by themselves for 10 minutes, I was like, this is the best 10 minutes ever. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, I haven't seen them for like an hour. And they're just downstairs playing. So that part is amazing. And I love being able to have conversations with my daughter who's seven now. Like, she just wants to know about everything. And she wants to hang out with me. And so it's a really cool transition to go from like, she's a little kid that I have to care for to like, she's a person that I enjoy hanging out with. So yeah, it gets easier and harder. Like I always tell people it just gets different. Like as soon as something gets easier, something else takes its place, right? Like I remember being like, oh, I can't wait till my kids are out of diapers. Well, now you have to potty train. Well, I can't wait till they can do this. Well, now you have to do this. Or I can't wait till I, I don't have to spend money on like all this, like, I don't know, whatever it is you have to spend money on. And then it's like, well, now you have to spend money to put them in sports. So it's like, you always replace one thing that's hard or one thing that's expensive with another thing that's hard or another thing that's expensive. Like it's just always changing, but I, I love the stage my kids are in. Like I, I love it a lot and they're really fun to be around. If she's seven, what grade is that going into? Two. She's going to grade two. Oh my God. Like I'm trying to think of me when I was in grade two. So what kinds of things is she into? Like what are seven-year-olds into nowadays? Like crafts. So there's something that I, I shouldn't say I can't stand it because I'm crafty and I'm artsy, but like the stuff everywhere, like markers and pencil crayons and tape and glitter and little tiny pieces of paper cut up all over the house. And then like she got a Barbie dream house for her birthday, but she doesn't want to use that. She wants to make her own house out of cardboard. So then there's like little furniture that she's made and little like, and then she finds random objects and they become different pretend objects. And so it's kind of cool because you really see their imagination going and they like, she comes up with like the most creative like contraptions (laughs) like that she makes. I'm like, how did you come up with that? But also, why are there pieces of cardboard on every level of the house cut up into tiny little pieces? So yeah, so seven-year-old, like she is a really good reader. So like she loves reading and that's so cool to just like sit and like listen to her read. Like this little chapter book is incredible. And yes, it's like she's into reading, talking. Seven-year-old girls like to talk a lot. So sometimes it's delightful and sometimes it's like, please stop right now. you're talking a lot so like my daughter yeah a lot of crafting a lot of talking a lot of reading and like she loves outdoors stuff and my son who's five like he's like he's just a kid who wants to play independently with lego like he's just a quiet sensitive little boy he's not like people always talk about like typical boys he's not he's not a rough house kid he's very emotional he's very sensitive so it's very interesting having to parent them differently too yeah I imagine like, cause so many people say their kids are so different. I never thought about having kids that are totally different. Now you have to adjust your parenting for each one. I never even thought of that. 
Yeah. So like my daughter, she can read, like she's like me and the way that she can read people so well. So if she's done something, she just looks at my face and like, she can tell within a moment if she's done something wrong and like, she'll like burst into tears. Right. Whereas my son needs a little bit more like firm, like he needs me to be more firm. So it's really interesting because I can't give them the same reaction to things they've done wrong. Cause they just need a different reaction to know like what to do. And even like gender wise, or I don't even know if it's gender, but like my daughter, I cannot console her when she's upset. Like it just stresses me out and nothing I do works. And she gets, just gets more upset. And my husband just has to walk into the room and she's fine. And yet my son is very different. Like he, like we're similar, right? So he's consoled in the way that I would be consoled. So it works. And so it's really interesting when you think you figured it out and then you have a different kid and you're like, I actually haven't figured it out. I have to refigure it out again because this is a different human being with different needs and different talents and different like things. So it's very interesting, especially as they get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Teenage years are coming up. Well, you have some time. <laughs> Not that much time because it's, and she's seven. So if we double that in the same amount of time that I've had her, she will be a teenager. So we just, we won't think about, we don't have to think about that right now. No, 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 no. Another conversation for another time. Future future me. (laughs) Yeah. Future me. Exactly. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. You're pretty open on social media about your own childhood and having gone through trauma and working through that. And I'm wondering if you have advice for people who are young moms or their moms that have young kids who maybe had a traumatic childhood and are trying to now heal from that and 
get out of the cycle of having trauma within their own immediate family now? So my first piece of advice would always be that it's not your fault what happened, but it's your responsibility to heal, Mm. right? So the things that happen to us when we're children and that shape us, we don't need to feel guilt or shame about that. It's not our fault. But at the same time, if we want to be better for ourselves and for our families, we have to put the work in to be better. And yes, that's unfair that maybe other people don't have to do that. But if if we want to live a fulfilled life, then you still have to put the work in. It's still our responsibility to do it. So I'm a huge advocate for putting in the work to heal yourself. And sometimes that looks like therapy. And sometimes that looks like following social media accounts that give you tips and give you advice, but it's important to do the work. And I always, I also like to talk about not doing the opposite. So I hear a lot of people say like, oh, well, my parents taught me like what not to do, or I'm just going to do the opposite of whatever they did. And my thing is like the extreme of anything isn't good. So if your parents neglected you and you didn't have enough food to bring to school and you didn't have enough to eat. And now as a parent, you're just going to give your child everything that you never had and you're going to give them the best of everything. Well, now you're going to raise entitled children. So my whole thing, and you can apply that to any scenario, you know, if you were emotionally neglected and your parents like didn't allow you to feel emotion and didn't allow you to cry. And now like you just obsessively like pamper your child and like just want them to be happy all the time and don't give them any boundaries for life. Well, now your child has no boundaries and that's going to affect their character, right? So I try and talk a lot about finding that balance between, and even though we feel like we want to do the opposite, it's really not healthy to do the opposite. Like you want to find that, like that middle balance. And if you come from a toxic family, something that's really hard is just setting boundaries with the people who are toxic. You know, we're going to be so much more likely to repeat those behaviors. If we're spending time around the people who act like that and who treat us the same way they treated us when they were children, when we were children and have just those habits that like, for me, there's things that, you know, my mom did growing up that I can't stand. And yet I still feel myself wanting to do them. You know, the house is a mess. Of course, I want to get up and start slamming all the cupboards as I'm cleaning to let everybody know that I'm mad that the house is clean and nobody's helping me. And if I slam the cupboards, then they know. Mm. And then I think like that is going to instill fear in my children. That is going to be a traumatic experience for them. Like even now, like if I see my husband or someone else going to clean, I have anxiety that like I have like upset him because I haven't cleaned. And he's like, no, like I'm just helping. I'm just being a partner in the house. But because that was my experience growing up that whenever someone cleaned, that meant I did something wrong. I have this like anxiety. And so that's just one example of like how I'm super, I'm hyper aware of like, I want to do that. Like naturally, like that's how I want to act. But it's stopping myself and being like, no, like I'm not going to do that. Even if I naturally want to do that, just being super self-aware. Why do you think you are so self-aware? What you described, like the slamming the cupboards, that to me is like, I talk a lot about martyr tendencies. And that's kind of, you know, instead of asking someone, oh, can you guys help me clean up? It's like, we take it on ourselves, but then want people to know that we're pissed about it. Right, right, 100%. And like passive aggressive, like slamming things and huffing and puffing. And so why do you think you are so self-aware? I feel like 
part of being self-aware and hypersensitive is a response to trauma. Like people who are very aware of other people's emotions and who are very aware of themselves develop that as a trauma response. Because if you grow up around someone who makes you feel like everything is your fault all the time and that you're in trouble all the time and you're not allowed to feel emotions because it'll make them feel emotions, then you become so aware and you manage your emotions and you manage yourself and you manage your facial expressions to keep that person happy and to keep them at peace. Because if you show your emotions and you show anything that you disagree, then that's going to make them more upset and that's more trauma for you. So people who go through trauma, I believe like they develop that as a trauma response. So I'm very aware of other people's emotions and other people's facial expressions and how other people are and also of myself. And I just decided a long time ago as well, like I don't want to become what my family in many ways was in terms of like the rage and the anger and the passive aggressiveness and the martyrdom. And so I from a very early on before I had kids, before I was married, I have been self-aware and I've wanted to like keep tabs on my mental health because I, I don't want to become that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I always think about what is the difference between, you know, two people who went through maybe a similar traumatic childhood and then one person goes on to repeat the cycle versus the other person who kind of like what you've done be very self-aware, make the changes, put in the work, like what makes someone like not repeat the cycle and heal themselves versus someone else? That's just, I don't, I don't expect you to have that answer, but (laughs) I'm always curious. I wonder that too. I'm always like, how, like, what is it? Yeah. You know, and for me, I'm always like, why don't you want to put in the work? Like, why don't you want to change? Why don't want you want your life to be better? But they're probably looking at me the same way saying like, how did you do that? And I, I don't, I don't have the answer, but it's super fascinating and something I think about a lot. Before we end, I wanted to ask you about your boundaries with social media. Because you are blowing up so quickly, I I imagine, like you were saying, well, we had this conversation on Sunday. It's like the immediate feedback of posting something on social media and like, oh, people like it. And so have you set any boundaries for yourself with regard to like either consuming social media or how much time you're spending on your phone? Has that become an issue? And have you thought about it at all? It's been really hard, especially because it happened so quickly and almost not even that intentionally. So it's, and because of the pandemic, right? So when my kids were in school, this is the first year they were supposed to both be in school. My idea of a boundary was I will do my social media work during the day. And then when they're at home before they go to bed, I won't be on it. And then of course it was a pandemic and the kids were at home. And so it's been really hard to not be on it when they're there because they're there all of the time. My boundary is basically I turn it off by like, I try to turn it off by 10 o'clock at night and I try to not be on it when my, you know, and be fully present with my kids, but it's been really hard to set. So I'm, I'm looking forward to September when I get a little bit of a break from the kids and I can do my work during work hours and I can be with them when work is over. But I find it very difficult to set boundaries, especially on, well, it's hard. Like on TikTok, the boundary is that's hard to keep is that I scroll, right? I'm like, I'll just look at a few. And then all of a sudden it's like a half an hour has gone by. It's too good. (laughs) Yeah, right? And on Instagram, it's much more community-based. So rather than consuming content, I'm responding to DMs. I'm responding to comments. I'm, you know, I'm more interacting with people more. And so I find, especially having both platforms, it sucks like so much time. And I never used to really understand how like, you know, influencers would would say like it's a full-time job. And now like I tell people, I'm like, I could, I don't, but I could wake up and be on my phone 
till the moment I sleep and I would never read every comment and I would never respond to every DM. And like, you have to just choose to say, you know, this is enough. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read every DM. I can't read every comment. It's just not possible. So I do, I almost like cut off a certain number of comments. Like I will probably read 10, 25 comments at the most. And then I'm done because I can't. Yeah. Totally. And wasn't it an interesting transition to be like, oh, I'm doing this for fun. This is like a creative outlet. And then it slowly transitions into like, this is kind of a job and it's work. And I want it to be something that I continue to build and like grow and make it into something else. It's like this slow transition from like, oh, this is just fun into like, this is actually really important. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. And I said to my husband the other day, like, it is such an amazing honor to be able to do what I love doing. Like, I genuinely love the content I make. I genuinely love what I'm doing. And now I'm going to be paid for that. Like, that is an unbelievable experience. Like, that is a dream, right? To be paid to do what you love doing. And that's super cool. But it, yeah, it's a huge transition, even for my family to, you know, it used to be, well, mommy's on her phone because she's on social media to mommy's on her phone because she's working. Like, that is like a whole other thing. And, and having parts of it that you still really enjoy. And then that sliver of it, that's really not fun, you know, to do. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing for me and for the people around me who have like seen me just very quickly change from being one thing to being something else. What does your husband think about it? He's totally on board now. I think, I think about a year ago when I was just obsessively like I had been on TikTok for months and I was just obsessively making TikToks and it's all I thought about. And of course I wasn't making money and I wasn't like, it wasn't like anything super intentional. I didn't have an Instagram following. I was literally just making TikToks. He probably did get a little bit annoyed that it consumed so much of my time. But now of course it's paying off in dividends because I have this like huge following on both platforms and it's turning into a bit of a career and you know, it's allowing our family to have a little bit more freedom. So he's very, he's very supportive now, but it's been a transition for all of us of like, this is something that sucks your time to this is something that gives to our family. And also like, and he's happy that it feeds my soul, right? Like I always want to feel productive and I always want to feel like I'm giving something to the world. And I, I have this deep need to feel connected with people. And like for him, like, of course, seeing me happy, is also good for our family, right? If I'm fulfilled and I'm happy, you know, and that's that whole thing about martyrdom, like, you know, women, are seen to like, oh, you just need to be selfless and give to your family. And that doesn't produce happy families. Like happy families are when everybody is happy. And so it's good for our whole family that I'm doing what's passionate. So it's kind of cool. You know, because sometimes these thoughts come into my mind, like, oh, like Milo's in daycare. Like I don't have a typical, you know, traditional job in that I'm going somewhere nine to five and working in an office. Even though daycare is so good for him and he thrives and his development, his socialization, like it is phenomenal. But I'm still have this like, not a guilt feeling, but just like, am I doing the right thing? But as you said, I am such a happy person and I am so fulfilled that like it is the right choice. You know, I am not fulfilled in quarantine when I was at home, not really able to do much. I was so like, like I'm a busybody. I want to create, I want to do something. And so I totally agree. It's like, we need to make ourselves a priority and do something that fills our buckets as well as, you know, before we just fill everyone else's buckets. So for sure. Yeah. 
and kids, you know, kids, we don't want our kids to grow up and just think that, you know, their moms don't exist as people. They just live to serve their children, right? Like the best thing we can do for our kids is model what it's like to live a fulfilled life. And, you know, if they see us doing that, then that allows them to then do the same thing, right? And they're going to have happier childhoods if they're, if mom feels fulfilled and happy too. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. So happy that we could chat again. I wanted to end with you just telling everybody where they can find you and what, like, do you have any plans for the future? What are your goals? What do you see yourself doing in five years? Okay. So you can find me at Diary of an Honest Mom on Instagram and TikTok. And my dream situation in five years would be author speaker. That's what yeah. I want to do. I want to write a book about womanhood and motherhood and all, all those things. You know, if I could be up there with like the Brene Browns and the Glennon Doyles and then like, that is the dream to just write a book about being a, you know, fulfilled woman and a fulfilled mother. Like I would love that. And I'd love, yeah, to just speak, just to speak into women's lives about like living their most fulfilled life. That would be my dream. It seemed like a pipe dream years ago. And now I'm like, maybe not. Maybe it isn't a pipe dream. So I'm thinking of starting a blog in September. So you can keep your eye out for that. I'm looking into how that would work. So keep your eye out for a blog and who knows, maybe one day a book. Yeah. So we both want to write books. So we just need to get off social media for a little bit of time each day and write a friggin' book. <laughs> just a little bit. A few paragraphs a day. Yeah. That'll just block off some time. No, you know what we should do? We should go on like a writing retreat where we like go somewhere for a couple weeks, lock ourselves in a room. That's my dream anyways. Yeah. Writing yes. retreat. Okay. I'd be I'm going to run that by my husband. <laughs> No phones. No yeah, phones no. allowed. Oh boy. Okay. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. I'm sure I will chat with you soon. And I saw that you posted that TikTok where the guy was watching us dance. <laughs> <laughs> I still so, can't believe we did that. I need to post that to my stories because I told people I would tell them which one it was where the guy was because I told that story. So I need to share it and say, this is the one where the guy is literally right in front of us drinking a coffee, watching us dance. So enjoy <laughs> Not that smiling at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. I really, it's been a really good conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.